1: Oh, uh-huh.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. And I'm Kyle. We are your podcast of music discovery. Uh, Proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the premier source for music podcasts. We are approaching two years being on the network. Yeah, we are. Couldn't be happier with the relationship with them and all they have provided for us. Uh, They host both of our podcasts, Mm -hmm. both this one and Audio Judo Does Jazz. Mm -hmm. So we know they would appreciate your support as much as we appreciate your support. Uh, We are grateful for every opportunity we have to do this podcast. So thank you. Uh, Now, if you want to support us even more, we have a Patreon site. Throw us a little money. Tell them about Kyle. So there's two options on our Patreon
1: site. Uh, The first one we call the Front Row Seats tier. It's $5 a month. But for that, you get two-day early access to all of these episodes. Shout out on future episodes is a loyal producer, bonus mini episodes called judo chops and occasional bonus content such as uh, unedited interviews, behind the scenes videos and tiny little tidbits that got cut out of episodes, usually because we were doing something stupid. The next step up from that is the backstage pass tier. Uh, It is $20 a month. It includes everything that the front row seats tier has, as well as a very special personalized gift from Matthew and myself and the chance to co-host an audio judo episode on the album of your choice. That benefit activates after one year of patronage at that tier and can only be activated once. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, like we say every time we do this. If you want to make us review a really terrible album, you can do that for only $240. Or.
0: Maybe you want to choose like Sgt. Pepper or something You could do or- that
1: too. You could pick a great album. Uh the first one of we the first one of these that we did uh uh was Americano. And mm-hmm. it was a great was a great album, one I'd never heard of.
0: Artist I'd never heard of. It was a fun episode. It fantastic. was a whole different flavor to our episodes. But today we are talking about blues, an R and B artist, mm-hmm. fantastic Negrito. Yes, we are. Now correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. But we've talked about him before, haven't we?
1: We have indeed. Uh, I picked this as one of my 2020 albums of the year. Mm. Uh, I like this album so much that I wanted to circle back around to it and do a full episode on it. Full
0: length treatment. Uh,
1: This album is called Have You Lost Your Mind Yet? Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, uh, 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 honestly, it was one of my favorite albums of 2020. That's why I picked it for the album of the year. I still listen to it every couple of months. Really? Yeah, it it just comes up.
0: I, I love it. I believe this is the most recent album That has been released that we have done on this program.
1: I would say you are probably correct.
0: I know we covered one or two from 2018, but that is about as recent as we get, other other than some interviews with artists. Um, So it's nice to talk about something current. Right. Uh, But before we talk about this record, even though you've covered some of his history in that Top 10 Albums episode, you should probably revisit his story for all those who haven't heard it. I absolutely want to. I want to go into a little little bit more detail, too. And boy... Is this story a doozy?
1: Yeah, it is. So uh, Fantastic Negrito, his real name is uh, Xavier Amin Dufrepolez, which uh, I feel like Matthew, you and I can uh, relate to somebody with a hard to pronounce last name.
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Uh, (laughs) I personally believe he might be one of the most important American musicians working right now.
0: Oh, that's a bold statement. It's
1: a very bold statement, but I really think that he's that good. He's a genre-busting musician from Oakland, California, who blends blues, roots, jazz, soul, funk, R&B, rap, and brings his own unique elements together to form something absolutely magical. Uh, To walk through his life, you have to realize that Xavier has actually led three separate lives. The first life, he was born, uh, like I said, Xavier Amin dufresne on January 20th, 1968, in western Massachusetts. He was the eighth of 14 children. His mother was from the southern U.S., his father was an Oxford-educated Somali-Caribbean immigrant who was deeply religious. Uh, he was a deeply religious Somali Muslim. Strict Somali Very Muslim. Very strict. When he was 12, the family relocated to Oakland, California, and Xavier left home shortly Ooh, after Talk moving. about
0: a culture shock. Great, right? You just moved from Great Barrington, Massachusetts, all the way from one coast to the other, to Oakland. Yeah. that is That is culture shock of the highest order.
1: He said of it, quote, I went from Arab chants to funkadelic in one day. Yeah. Living in the heart of one of the wildest, most infamous, most vibrant black communities in the nation. Shit was extra real in Oakland.
0: Yeah. But then, you know, as in a story as old as time, he fell in with the wrong crowd.
1: Yeah. Well, he literally, uh, I did not know this from my initial research uh, when I picked this for the 2020 album. Uh, within days of moving to Oakland, he left his family. Oh. He lived on the street from the age of 12 uh, he he basically was just like, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, two years after that, his father passed away and he never saw his father again from the day he left.
0: Wow. Um, I didn't know that either. He,
1: he bounced around through the foster system and spent a bunch of time living on the street. Um, at the age of 18- Inspired by learning that Prince had self taught all his own musical abilities, Xavier taught himself to play several instruments and was recording music on his own.
0: Yeah, he was listening to Prince's dirty mind. Yeah.
1: Uh, he Great also record. snuck into music classrooms at the nearby University of Berkeley to attend lectures, learn about music, and use the instruments in their practice rooms.
0: Even though he wasn't a student there. Yeah, he right?
1: literally would sneak in and to begin teaching himself, he would listen to students playing scales.
0: And then when they left, go in and recreate that. That sounds like the way to do it. Right. right. And he began fronting some funk punk bands in the tradition of Bad Brains and Fishbone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, he began fronting some funk punk bands in the tradition of Bad Brains and Fishbone, which is completely fantastic. And I believe Fishbone is long overdue for an episode on this show. Ooh, that would be I just great. can't decide uh, what record to do yet. But they took the name of the band – the name of their band was Blood Sugar X, Mm -hmm. which is most definitely borrowed from the Red Hot Chili Peppers 1991 album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Which, Mm, you know, if you're going to borrow a funk title to name your funk band, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. Uh, However, at the same time, he was also sort of caught up in the violence of Oakland, like you just said. Uh, He began selling drugs as a teenager, saying to The Guardian in an article, quote, We were all selling drugs, man. We all carried pistols. There was a crack epidemic. I was the kind of kid who would sell fake weed. Sometimes I would use tea.
0: I should go with oregano.
1: So uh, this is actually about the time where his first life ended. Uh, he and some friends bought some weapons from uh, some uh, street dealers. Those street dealers followed them back to the place where he was living at the time, robbed them at gunpoint. Uh, and basically, he knew that he almost died that night. So the next day, uh, his second life began. When he took his demo tapes that he'd recorded, a keyboard and $100, and hitchhiked to L.A. Um, At first in L.A., he literally went around knocking on doors until he found someone who would listen to his music. Uh, In an interview with Wired Magazine in 2015, he said of the first group of people who would let him in their door, quote, I could tell they were hustlers. They were living the life, and I was familiar with that. So I slept on the floor and just learned how to do it. I furthered my craft. Uh, he began working as an independent songwriter, and a friend of his gave one of his demo tapes to Prince's manager, Joe Ruffalo, uh, who took him off the street, gave him an apartment and a stipend, and they began to get him auditions at various labels. So obviously, they had
0: some belief in him. They yeah. thought he could do something. And then what, what happens? He signs- He signs a with Interscope. Million, a million-dollar contract with Interscope.
1: Yeah, with Jimmy Iovine himself. Pretty much a dream come true. Yeah. Uh, his first album, which he released under the mononym Xavier- was Titled The X Factor, and it is uh, an interesting uh, album that is certainly a product of its time. Well,
0: he immediately regretted the record, yes, and you know, it basically took, right after it came out, it took three years for him to release it from the time he was signed. And It's a, a non descript, non starter of a record that was not inspired, not original, no, and not very good.
1: No, it definitely, um, you can hear. It's like they took a lot of the influences at the time and just mashed up their own versions of those influences. Mm -hmm. You can hear some prints in this album. Um, uh, If you really want to go listen to it, you can find it on YouTube. Um, I would say try the tracks uh, Gentle Screamer, Lucky Seven, or Freak Beat, which are not exactly standout tracks, but they'll give you an example of what's on this album and, and you can tell where his head was and where his influences were coming from at the time.
0: Kind of DOA though. Yeah.
1: It it didn't sell well either. And it threw Xavier into a sort of limbo period where he couldn't get out of his contract, but he also felt stifled and couldn't produce anything the studio wanted. Um, And weirdly enough, uh, it was when his second life ended that he was able to change his entire life.
0: Right. So you go ahead.
1: He was in a horrible car accident in the year 2000. Uh, He flipped his car three or four
0: times. Uh, He was in a coma for three weeks. Well, he, he was hit. He was yeah. driving home from a friend's house in L.A., and a drunk driver ran a red light and hit him. It was on Thanksgiving night. Yeah. And first thing he remembers when he woke up three weeks later was that he had a beard. hmm Not to the fact that he had broken arms and legs, uh, just that he had a beard.
1: He, uh, he recalled in an interview, quote, I woke up from the coma and went, hey, are my hands okay? I'm a musician. I looked around the room and people shook their heads. They didn't even say I severely damaged both of my hands. They thought I would never play again. Mm-hmm. His hands were both so severely damaged that he went through months and months of intense physical therapy just to regain the use of them. To this day, he still refers to his right hand as the claw mm-hmm. because he doesn't have a lot of motion in it.
0: But in true rebel style, however, he says that the accident was more of a relief than a hindrance at the time, at least career-wise, mm-hmm. because it allowed him to be released from his Interscope contract, yeah. which he always saw as the albatross around his neck. Yeah. So what did he, what did he do? He started hustling. Right. He started
1: hustling again. He had a a, a house, like a, a, a loft in Los Angeles, and he was doing a once a month or so nightclub. Called where,
0: Club Bingo. Club Called Club
1: Bingo, uh, where he would rent it out. He had uh, naked women on a hot tub on the roof and, and loud music. And apparently during that time, he only got arrested once.
0: Mm. Well, there uh, you go. Right. And he uh, also started to make music yeah. under a bunch of aliases, mm-hmm. like uh, Chocolate Butterfly. Yes. Me and the Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. And he was also licensing his music for TV and film.
1: Yes, over 70 tracks, in fact, licensed in just a few years' time period to various uh, uh, different TV series and movies. He was also sort of singing a lot during this time because he couldn't play any instrument. And he was touring with uh, a couple of those bands that he worked with throughout Europe. And basically, he said, uh, I made a living off that shit. I only had to do the nightclub once a month, and then I'd fly off to Europe and do shows. Oh that sounds, sounds like all right.
0: a pretty good life. Sounds all right. And
1: in then- fact, in 2001 he started a record label with his lifelong friend uh, Malcolm Spellman called Blackball Universe. They would go on to become um, it would go on to become a multimedia collective with the same name whose purpose was to promote to promote black artists. Uh, they have in their current iteration they have recording studios and art gallery. They do a whole bunch of film licensing projects. It sounds like a really neat media collective. That is cool. I'm sad that their website is not their website is literally Contact Us, Fantastic Negrito. There's two buttons and that's it.
0: That's all you need.
1: Um, Malcolm Spellman, however, uh, you might recognize that name. He would go on to write for the award winning TV series Empire. Ah. Uh, and he also served as the showrunner for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, among a whole bunch of other writing credits. Oh,
0: cool. So interesting that he's not really in musical, music, but still within
1: that same collective.
0: So when he got his partner pregnant, though, he sold everything. And moved back to Oakland to mm-hmm. started and started to live more simply. And five years had elapsed from his accident at this point, and he still couldn't play the guitar like he wanted to. But one night he realized that he had the mobility to play one chord. And in an attempt to get his baby to stop crying, he played it, and the baby's entire face changed when he heard it. So Z- uh, Xavier, 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 Xavier—that's Xavier, in my head for some Great. reason. Xavier learned to play "Across the Universe" by the Beatles and played it for his young child every night for a year. And with that came a slew of new songs, and this time much more informed by Southern Blues and R&B. That glut glut of new songs would become The Last Days of Oakland, Mm -hmm. uh, released in 2016. And, oh, I don't know, it won Best Contemporary Blues Album at the 2017 Grammys. Right? (laughs) Uh, You know, just a
1: little something there. He also, during that same time, he was actually busking a lot around Oakland and in San Francisco to, to practice his music. So he could still make money. He would literally go ride on BART and play the guitar uh, for people and and earn money that way. He was also playing in a lot of little small restaurants around Oakland at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing that happened in that time frame was, uh, encouraged by Malcolm Spellman and uh, Black Ball Universe, uh, some of the people that he worked with, uh, he actually submitted a song to the 2015 NPR Tiny Desk concert series Uh, He was chosen out of more than 7,000 applicants to perform his submission, Lost in a Crowd, uh, which is a great song. Go watch the video for it from the Tiny Desk concert. It's fantastic. Um, But funnily enough, he didn't want to do it. Uh, From the article in Premier Guitar called Fantastic Negrito, The Real Punk Blues by Joe Cherapacorn, he said, quote, I didn't even want to do it. I was in a collective, which means we vote on everything. I voted against doing Tiny Desk. I thought it was a waste of time, but yeah, that happened, and the rest is history. The other thing that happened in that time period, uh, around 2015 or 2016, Bernie Sanders enlisted him to play at his campaign events, specifically the song Working Poor. Uh, So, like you said, 2016, his first uh, full-length album, The Last Days of Oakland, which would go on to win the Grammy for Best Contemporary Blues Album on the 59th Grammy Awards, also reached number four in the Billboard U.S.
0: Top Blues Albums. Then he returned in 2018. Right. Uh, Yeah. With Please Don't Be Dead, Mm -hmm. which ended up getting to number three on the Billboard chart, and (laughs) again, won the Contemporary Blues Album Grammy in 2019, beating out Boz Skaggs for the trophy. Uh, And now here we are with the 2020 release. That we'll be talking about today. Have you lost your mind yet? Which would become his first number one album on Mm -hmm. the Billboard Blues chart and would, again, win the Best (laughs) Contemporary Blues Grammy in 2021, this time beating Ruthie Foster and Betty LeVette. Great. Triple
1: Grammy winner.
0: And up until the time you brought this up on our Best of 2020 episode, I had never heard of him.
1: He is so under the radar in so many places, and I don't understand how he is still under the radar,
0: because his music is so good. But it's just not... It's not... It's not
1: pop. pop. It's not mainstream. And that's
0: why. I mean, there's so many blues artists, jazz artists, like tons of artists that that are on the other charts that are popular in that particular genre, but don't cross over to, quote, the mainstream that everybody would hear. I mean, I could sit and talk about Joe Bonamassa for forever, but unless you're a blues rock listener, yeah, you your familiarity with him is limited to probably, oh, I saw him on PBS on a concert and I just rolled by it. Yeah. And that's it. So, yeah, there's a lot of talent out there that I think a lot of people miss. Yeah. You want to talk about the cover?
1: Uh, I got one, one more got thing. More? Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to say that this album at its core is all about mental health. But it also touches on the treatment of minorities, specifically black people in America today, and a little bit on the beginnings of the COVID-19 pandemic, which started to happen just as this album was be- was beginning to be recorded. Uh, in an interview from early mid-2020, you can watch on iTunes if you search for Fantastic Negrito, which I sadly can't find any more information about, including who the interviewer is and why the interview happened. Uh, thank you, Apple, so much for your useful information. <laughs> He had this to say about the album. It's literally a video. If you search for him, there's all of his albums and everything. You mm. scroll down and there's his music videos and then there's an interview he did with somebody, but it cuts right to the beginning of the interview. So the guy doing the interview gets no introduction or anything and I don't recognize him. So well, That's weird. Uh But this quote I, I thought was very um interesting and it describes this whole album. Mm. So uh it begins with Fantastic Negrito saying – When I was making this album, I was thinking much more micro because my other albums, The Last Days of Oakland and uh, Please Don't Be Dead, have been extremely macro. I was talking about the system and I was talking about the proliferation of guns and corporations being the new government as opposed to presidents. Like, we talk about presidents and I was like, no, corporations. So it was very big. This album was the hardest album I ever made because it was micro. I was looking around and seeing my friends and my relatives and even myself and like wow man, we are in this current era. This construct is destroying us in a way that we're still we're kind of like zombies. We're still participating every day, but it's like we're it's like we're breaking us down. It's hurting us. It's stressing us out. It's causing anxiety. We're becoming a prescription drug society, and we look like we are functioning and healthy, but I think mentally you can't keep watching images of black people being disproportionately killed by the police over and over again. You can't keep in- ingesting another shooting, 32 people here and nine people over here, 22 people over here. These images and all this information we are bombarded with, the interviewer interrupts, and then the number of 180,000 people dead due to COVID in a matter of months, fantastic Negrito. Yeah, no one ca- and no one cares, it seems like. Very poignant it is, for the time it is. this album was coming out. And you got to remember, this was still, this was, I think this interview was probably April or May 2020. So still very early in the pandemic. But I really think that that summed up that one quote. It's long, but I think that it sums up the entirety of this album. So uh, the cover art.
0: Yeah. Uh, it covers pretty simple. Uh, yellow background that features Negrito in a very interesting outfit. Yeah. Sweet fur net jacket, cane and giant mohawk. It's actually a a pretty cool photo. The photo was taken by Lyle Owerko. Yeah, he has a pretty extensive resume, his most famous picture being one that he took on 9-11 of one of the towers exploding as a plane uh, slammed into the side. It was wow. featured on the following week's Time magazine cover. Uh, he also directed a number of music videos for the likes of Rufus Wainwright and American Hi-Fi. Uh, the artwork designer for the record is Rachel Wolf Goldsmith, and her stuff is amazing. Yeah, it is. She's a Bay-, Bay Area based muralist who does fantastic mural installations and her work is absolutely beautiful. And more importantly, it is relevant and impactful. Uh, she does a ton of stuff for BLM and an organization called she will rise, which is trying to get a black female Supreme court justice. And the work is just really, cool. really, really good. You got more about that. Cover? That's
1: that's pretty much it. I was gonna say the, the back is basically the repeat of the title and artist. Uh, with the track listing. Uh, on the inside cover, uh, uh, there's a nice collage of a close-up made of pictures of uh, Fantastic
0: Negrito's face. That's pronounced uh, college. Col- oh, oh, you oh. mean collage. Oh, sorry. Oh. Got it. <laughs>
1: uh, and then on the facing page, there's a picture of him uh, standing on top of either a table or a drum. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Couldn't tell. Uh, but uh, you only see basically from the knees down. You see his striped pants and his boots.
0: I think we'll, let's go with drum. Well, let's go with the drum.
1: And there's also a, uh, if you get the vinyl of this, there's a green vinyl version. Do you have the vinyl? I do not yet. I want it, uh, but it's been sold out. Oh, Uh, balls. I I want it, though. It's a green vinyl pressing that looks really great. Uh, But should we take a quick break and we'll come back into a track by track? Let's take a quick break.
0: Don't Smother Nature is a one stop shop for sustainable home goods. They do the research to compile all the best and most affordable options and group them into a convenient online location. With smooth navigation, helpful support, and easy returns and tracking, they make transitioning you and your home to be more Earth-friendly a simple and accessible process. They just had their grand opening, so browse their extensive catalog now at DontSmotherNature.com. That's DontSmotherNature.com. Chocolate Samurai? Chocolate Samurai. First words of the record are, of course, the album title. Great.
1: Have you lost your mind yet? What a great way to open this album.
0: What I love so much about this first song and really the whole album is how much fun this record is. Yeah. Uh, And I think after we first talked about it a year or so ago, I went and listened to it, uh, listened to the first few songs, and I really liked it. But for one reason or another... And it pops up again. I just wasn't in the mood for it completely. Yeah. So I put it away for another time. And so I guess this is the time now, I suppose. (laughs) But I never really got past those first few. But this song gives me so many Stevie Wonder vibes. Yeah. It's like higher ground for a new generation. And his voice is just really interesting. Uh, I also love that he names his songs whatever he wants, like jazz instrumentals. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure it's just whatever sounds great. Chocolate Samurai. Yeah.
1: And it starts out with this great funk-back guitar that sounds a little bit like this.
2: Have you lost your mind?
1: It's so good It is Uh, From the Apple Music album notes uh, Fantastic Negrito had this to say Quote, I was talking about my community during that song Like, we have to get free tonight Get free from oppression We have to get free from the construct of racism We gotta get free from the idea that we're victims all the time too I was thinking very deep on that song
0: I also believe in the lyrics we get a reference to Sizzurp Sizzurp, we do He says, back in the old days we used to put syrup on our pancakes. Now we're mixing it with Sprite. It's
1: a Zerp. I love that one. And I love the one right before it. Uh, I thought he was Satan right now.
0: Ooh, yeah. Oh, here's one for you, Kyle. <laughs> what has nine legs? The <laughs> lyrics say, my nine-legged friend, spines made of rib- rhythm, bones made of ribbons. All I could find was a few octopus and a squid that may have nine legs. And there's also a creature called a yebi, which has nine legs, the mane of a lion and the body of a frog. Huh? Well, Maybe it's right. one of those things that just sounded really good when he wrote it, and isn't really referencing at anything. Right? Nine legged friend. I don't know what the hell that means. Hmm. And like any good blues or funk or R and B record, you must have a great bass player. Oh yeah, this album is no exception. Playing bass on most, uh, playing bass on most of this record is Cornelius Mims, also known as Corny Mims. <laughs> and you want to talk about a resume? Snoop, Tupac, Destiny's Child, Mary J. Blige, Phil Collins, Michael Jackson, George Michael. Those are nobodies. Mm -hmm. For music like this, you need the best bottom you can find Whoa! and corny fits the bill. It's a great start to the record. It really is.
1: It also has one of my favorite things in a song, a fake-out ending that sounds like this.
2: The Call of the Wild.
1: I don't know what it is. I love that. When a song, you're like, oh, it's, it's ending. And you like the just, fake outs? It rings back in all of a sudden. I don't know what it is. It gets me every time. All
0: right.
1: Uh, there's also uh online in all the lyrics that I saw for this, it says that one of the last lines is, uh, shake them up, baby. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it's a uh, shigamaboo, which we will get Wait, back that to. That comes back later. We'll get back to that a little bit later. But uh Matthew, it makes me... So Happy I Cry.
0: I'm So Happy I Cry? Yes. Collaboration between Tank and the Bangas, Mm -hmm. with Tank doing the rap section in the middle of the tune. Uh, We talked about Negrito's NPR Tiny Desk win, and he said that he wanted to do a collaboration with another winner of the Tiny Desk, which hadn't been done up until this point. What has now? Uh, The song itself is all about being grateful for the things that you have in life. And I think about all the things that this guy went through particularly and how it might be easy to take his life for granted, but for all the things he has now, but he isn't. He's taking the time to look around and appreciate it uh, and enjoy life to the fullest. And uh, because he might not be around for long. And I do love the rap section. And I guess it's more of a spoken word than a rap section. I am not, nor have I ever been a big rap fan, but I do love it when it's done well. Tank and the Bangos won the Tiny Desk t- Concert in 2017, and in 2020 were nominated for a Best New Artist Grammy, so they're doing pretty well themselves. Great. Uh, they have a ton of jazz and blues influence in their music as well, if you've listened to their stuff. It's just an awful lot going on in their record, too. It's worth a listen.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, they actually have two full-length albums. They are based out of New Orleans. The group was founded uh, and is fronted by uh, Triona Tank Ball. Uh, who has a background in slam poetry, which Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense, Uh, Joshua Johnson on drums and musical direction, Norman Spence on bass and synth, Uh, Merle Burkett Jr. on keyboard, Albert Allen Beck on alto sax and flute, as well as several other members that they bring in for specific instruments. Uh, But they are very good as well. Um, Fantastic Negrito actually wrote this song while reading about young rappers, specifically uh, the rapper Juice World. Who died from a drug overdose Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was reading an article about how many young rappers died from drug overdoses. Uh, They have so much. They're so surrounded by whatever they want all the time, but it's not fulfilling for them anymore. So they fall deep into drugs and nobody stops them because they're young and nobody's around to stop them. Uh, here's a little clip of that uh, The uh, rap part By uh, Tank right in the middle of the song I'm
2: happy, happy, happy happy Sad songs of the worst songs On a bad day are the best songs On a good day Stuck a replay Just to feel a little more than before my head fell a little Wiggle up the whole of Strictly wanted to settle I should've wanted more But I was willing to settle Now I'm high like a crock pot up the kettle Covers with my feelings Like I'm in the middle yeah!
1: I love the little inflections at a lot, uh, at the end of a lot of the uh, lines, like, wahoo and wake up.
2: Yep.
0: It's <laughs> kind of pepper in throughout there. Right. And what what you begin to realize as you dive into the liner notes for Negrito's albums is how much he is actually responsible for on the record.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, besides writing the songs, on this song alone, he is credited with percussion, drum programming, rhythm and guitar, and vocals. And this is one of uh, the songs with only a few credits. Yeah. Uh, he does plenty First song on the record, he also had a credit for keys, hand claps, and backing vocals. So needless to say, he's pretty busy.
1: Did you see the list of the stuff that he's credited for on the entire album? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's extensive.
1: So uh, what's funny is Fantastic Negrito is credited as the primary artist. That's all it says. But Xavier Dufrepoles is credited as composer, drum programming, fender, Rhodes guitar, rhythm, hand clapping, keyboards, organ, percussion, piano, producer, tambourine, track engineer, vocals, and vocals background. That's it? That's it. How how long, Kyle? <laughs> how long is the next song of this? There's a little bit more, uh, a little bit deeper hip hop influence in this Whoa, one. That's in a the good beat one. of the songs, the lyrics are straight up blues lyrics. However, um, this song is about police brutality. Yeah, and how long we as a country and a people can let it go on. Uh, here's a little clip.
0: It's a great, slinky, socially aware song that yeah. gives me some really specific Curtis Mayfield type sound to it. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Um, it's plucked right out of the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and I think in light of the George Floyd event and all of the other racially charged incidents that have been continuing to happen, I think this is a very relevant and yeah. important song. You mentioned what what this song was about. Negrito said uh, the song was really about policemen who are just arbitrarily executing citizens. You say to yourself... Well, how long are we going to keep living with that? It was a very, very simple and very easy to write song because it was a question I thought about a lot. How long can we keep holding on to the same thing when we're repeating it over and over again?
1: Yeah. And and like you said, uh, you already mentioned George George Floyd. But uh, while he was writing this album and while they were recording it, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and George Floyd were all murdered mm. within the time period that this album was being created. Oof. Uh, as well as who knows how many others that weren't reported on by the exactly. news. And to me, that's not only super poignant from a standpoint of this song, but just super poignant from a standpoint of the question that this song asks. You know, how long are we really going to let that go on?
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, too long. Yeah. Uh, the song has some great guitar work on it from uh, Masa mm-hmm. Actually, the whole album benefits from his additions, and he has a great story, too. He started playing guitar when he was 11. Eventually ended up attending the Ioma Gwikan University in Tokyo, but he ended up really learning the craft, playing as the house guitarist at an African-American gospel church in downtown Los Angeles.
1: Which is awesome. And I
0: think that must have been such a fascinating journey for him to take because those two don't marry up very closely, but it gives his playing a unique quality. I'd love to hear his story. Uh, I think this is my favorite song on the record. Top two um, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Shigamaboo Blues. It's only 55 seconds long, Kyle. Only
1: 55 seconds is a little bit of a filler song here. Uh, here's a little tiny short clip from it.
2: All kinds of things can happen in the world.
1: That's pretty much the whole song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a,
0: it's a a chant.
1: It is. It's a cool little chant. Uh, he repeats that over and over and over again. Going back to I mentioned uh, Shigamaboo earlier. Fantastic Negrito had this to say in an interview on Good Times. Uh, the interview was done by Aaron Carnes uh, in March 17. Uh, sorry, March on March 17th, 2020. He said, Shigamaboo is a colorful character I created. He's an anti-hero because Fantastic Negrito is a hero to me. Shingambu is funky. He's got soul. He wants to have a good time. He's my Ziggy Star Black. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can trust him yet." <laughs> I thought that was awesome.
0: <laughs> he said the song's just about the fact that. We really have no control over the things that happen to us. And the moment we accept that, uh, the moment that we accept that we have no control, it should make life more peaceful. I don't know that it does. That's my words. I don't know that it does make it more peaceful. But his theory is that it should. Yeah. And that's fair enough. You know, It should make things more peaceful once you realize the shit's out of your hands. Yeah. Like, I can not have control over anything. But it, it makes me searching for a captain save a hoe. <laughs> Searching for Captain Save a Ho. Searching for Captain. This is this Save-A-Ho. is such a throwback.
1: Uh, do you know who E40 is? I do. Earl Tywon Steven Senior, who was an American rapper, is an American rapper from the Click. From the Click. Uh, he also founded uh, Sick Wid It Records. Uh, he's released twenty eight albums uh, since he started. In nineteen ninety three, he had a mainstream hit song called Captain Save a Ho, uh, and he brought that character <laughs> back for this song. Go listen to it. It's one of those. It kind of falls in the same category for me as like the twenty, uh, what is it, the twenty dollars sack pyramid mm. from uh, uh, the Chronic, the original. Mm-hmm. E forty told Complex, uh, Complex Magazine, quote, Captain Savaho was a person that really likes saving abroad. He pillow talking her. He's soft in the game. He'll do anything he can to try and get at this broad, and that, excuse me, at this broad that got more miles on her than U.S. Airways. You smell mm. me? <laughs> That was hard for me to read. Such a but, great uh, song though. Right? Uh here's a little clip.
2: If you're heavy in the game, you can't be light. You can't, be light. You can't turn a hoe into a housewife. Housewife.
0: And I think it's a bit about du- double standards. Oh, absolutely! Is so. It's a song about Negrito being a whore. Mm -hmm. Basically, he was pimped. He pimped himself for so many things, not sexually so much, but for businesses and whatnot, and artistically. And when a guy does those things, we call him a go getter. Right. When a woman does it, we call her a whore.
1: Right. He he said as much. Um, (laughs) in a, a interview for Good Times magazine, uh, fantastic Negrito said that basically, uh. Captain Savaho plays the therapist character to Shigamabo in this, and he said, "Quote: Men in bands, they say she's a hoe. I say men are the hoes. Shigamaboo is confessing to being a hoe. He needs Captain Savaho to come save him. It's pretty funky." Captain Savaho. Captain Savaho. Matthew, your sex is overrated.
0: Whoa. Is Easy. the that's, name of the
1: next song oh, on the okay. album? Okay, that's personal. Featuring uh Masakohama again, an incredibly talented Japanese guitarist that you told us a little bit about. His guitar solo in this song is it is wonderful to It me. is pretty good. And it sounds a little bit like this.
0: This is the other song on the record that could easily be my favorite. Mm -hmm. Such a wonderful song, and it really follows that 12-bar blues approach. Oh, yeah. Um, This could be a song that is very representative of the fact that they call this a contemporary blues album. Because up until this point, it is really more of a funk and or R&B album than straight blues. But I guess... I'm not entirely sure what makes a contemporary blues record, so I look to see who has won it in the past. Mm-hmm. Steve Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. Buddy Guy, yep. Robert Cray, mm-hmm. Keb Moe, okay. Etta James, mm-hmm. Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a, those are a bunch of big hitters, Yeah, but when I say it was more in keeping with a traditional blues sound, then he starts singing, and we are right back to that mid-70s funk and soul vibe, and it is delicious. Yeah, The song is about using sex as a weapon. She doesn't treat him so good, but she thinks that because the sex is great, he can't possibly go anywhere. And according to the song, her cooking must be pretty good, too, because he references her thighs and her legs, but her chicken thighs, or not her legs and her thighs, but her chicken thighs and collard greens. (laughs) So it's not just about sex, right? Originally, Negrito wanted to sing this song with Brittany Howard. Uh, People know her as the incredibly talented singer and guitarist of the band Alabama Shakes, um, and they were all over the place a few years ago. Yeah, but they weren't able to make the collaboration happen. But he left the first line of the song the same. Brittany, I'm so <laughs> scared of you.
1: Yeah, this song definitely. Um, you can hear a lot of Prince influence in here as well. I mean, mm. just the way that it's laid out and and the lyrics and everything sound a lot like it could be a Prince song, uh, like a mid album slow down song for Prince. I, I think going back to what you were saying about you know what defines a a blues album versus a. a a punk album or whatever you want to call it. I think that's one of the biggest problems in the music industry right now. They're so caught up on the ideas of genre and they're stuck in the way that genre was defined 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They're, they're still trying to do though, oh no, it has to fall, you know, it has to fall in this category. And in the last 4 or 5 years, we've seen these crazy genre bending um
0: well, otherwise they don't know how to market it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and then they, you know, from a marketing standpoint, I kind of understand that. But from an award standpoint, if you're not willing to change that, then all your award is, is a marketing
0: giveaway. Well, the Grammys are a joke. We know right? So. There's no reason why Dylan won like 11 of those in 2004 with an album that was pretty much crap. <laughs> like, I don't, that that was the year I'm like, I'm done with this. This means nothing anymore. Oh, wait, but Jethro Tull won Best Heavy Metal Album. What? Excuse me? What? Okay, you've lost all credibility because you don't know what it is. So, (laughs) anyway. Uh,
1: Matthew, these are my friends.
0: It's another interesting take on 12 Bar Blues.
1: This is my favorite song on this entire album.
0: I'm not even sure what he's trying to do with his voice, but it's cool. Right? And I don't know what he's trying to do with the lyrics either. That's my dog. That's my friend. We go hard until the end. That's my genius. That's my felon. That's my ghetto Woody Allen. Right. You got me there fantastic. I don't I, know what to make of that.
1: I have a theory about this song. And I I hesitate a little bit to talk about this because it's not something that I'm well versed in. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a subject that I feel like I'm somebody who is the right person to talk about
0: this. Go on.
1: I believe he is intentionally avoiding using a certain word that certain people are welcome to use. Mm-hmm. I am not going to use that word to describe two of his friends. Hmm. Uh, I think that you already know what word I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that he's doing it very blatantly by coming up with as many other possible words to describe his friends as he possibly can without going for that word. And by doing that, he's not only saying we can free ourselves from this. He's also saying, you know, we don't use your mind, expand your horizons. This word start with an N. It does in fact start with an N. Okay. Um, but he's saying you don't have to constrain yourself this way hmm. because it, it, it is constraining. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, like no, I said, I'm, with you. I'm not the right person to have this discussion.
0: I don't think there either. Are, I don't think either of us are. No, <laughs>
1: uh, but be. that is what I personally think that he's trying to do with this song.
0: Hmm. Whether that's, What he actually intended for this song or not? Who knows? I think it's about, you know, it's about the friends you keep close to you and the investment you make in them. Oh, it's definitely about that. Uh, Everyone talks about family, 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 but the best of friends will not only have your back, but also tell you when you're kind of being a douche.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Negrito says this about the song. They got my back and I got their back. And that's what I was trying to write about. Exploring people's deficiencies, but celebrating the bond. I've got my friends who are just as flawed as I am but we support each other all the time. Your friends are your investors. Basically, that's your investment portfolio. And I think that's just a really beautiful way to put that. Yeah. It's very cool.
1: Here's a little clip.
2: That's my dog. That's my friend. We go hard until
1: love the overall message of this song too the hardest thing in life to find is a good friend Mm. that's Mm. great Mm -hmm. that is
0: great agreed
1: matthew why are you all up in my space
0: Mm. Mm. well see and this isn't one of my favorites uh i think that we further we get into this record uh it starts becoming a little samey for me mm-hmm. and that's why I start to lose interest and it may have been what happened before and I want to be completely honest about it I'm not criticizing it in any way I think it just uh I don't I'm I'm not totally bought in at this point to this song, um and I start to lose interest a little bit It's a sort of an anti-love song. Yeah. Toxic relationships, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, It's about being in a relationship, but not wanting that person, you know, all up in your space, basically. Right. Uh, And then the relationship falls apart and then you stalk each other online. Uh, Here's a little clip. I would agree with you. It's not one of the standout tracks on this album for me.
0: Yeah. But,
1: I mean, it's not bad, but, but it's certainly part of the album,
0: but, but that being said, you know, it gives me a chance to mention the uh, organ/piano slash player on the oh, album, there you go. Lionel Holloman. Oh yeah. Tasty licks on this record. Uh he has a nice career playing with Mary J, 50 Cent, Nas, Dr. Dre. Um yeah, it's not it's not one of my it's not a standout song for me, but it just it's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, Justice in America. It's another sh- one of the short right? interlude type songs. I-, I would say it's almost like a skit. 29 seconds, right? But, uh, I think so, something like that. But in the grand scheme of things, isn't that about as long as justice really lasts in America? Right? I uh, mean, I think just making the song that short and calling it justice in America is fairly appropriate. Right.
1: Fantastic Negrito had this to say about it, quote, I didn't want to write a song about it. I thought the idea itself was so powerful because of the way that we use immigrants in this country, and then we just want to discard them and throw them away. I think that's why I wanted my friend Gina Madrid's voice, who's a vocal artist. Uh, Sometimes immigrants, they come here and they'll realize, hey, this place isn't all that it said. America is a place that's advertising for people to get free labor. And in the end, it's just that. America was based on money. We don't say that on the Statue of Liberty now, do we? Right. I don't have a clip for this one because it was such a short song, and I didn't really have a good place to cut it where it would make any sense. So go listen to it.
0: Guest vocalist is uh, Gina Madrid. Yes. A Latin hip-hop artist, also known as Raw G. Um, yeah, America looking for cheap labor. And when they decide uh, you want to make your life better, we start beating you down again and look for more cheap labor. Right. Great, just as long as
1: you've got money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
1: wait, uh, King Frustration.
0: It's definitely one of the most powerful songs on the record, mm-hmm. at least from a lyrical point of view. While there has been a lot of vaguer references to the urban experience on this record, this one is much more specific. Said this, uh, said that he wrote this about one of his dr- drug addicted cousins. Um, sad that he had to say one of his drug yeah. addicted cousins, which implies there is at least more than one. What's crazy those. to
1: me too was he said she's been addicted to drugs for more than thirty, 30 years. years,
0: and he saw her walking down the street once and wanted to tell her that this song was at least partly about her, but he couldn't; it was too painful, yeah. and said that she's uh, with a lifetime of addiction. She has six or seven kids from different fathers, and she just gave them all away to relatives, and it's it's fucking messed up. Here's a little clip.
1: You know, Matthew is a man who knows about organs. Uh, I prefer two <laughs> over one. Ah. And there are two organs in are this.
0: dueling organs? There
1: are. Uh, it's There's a fun little organ break towards the end of the song that's, that's really good. Uh, it's a little bit of a weird <laughs> weird counterpoint to the seriousness of this song and to the message this song has to have this upbeat sort of organ in it. But uh, but I think that it really works. Ooh, it's a
0: sweet organ play. Yeah. That's nice. I think, nice. That it's,
1: I think that it's very nice.
0: Is that like a B3? Is that a Hammond B three? Uh, I don't know what they should have played in B3. this. I didn't
1: look it up. I should have.
0: Yeah, you should have. Yeah, Platypus Dipster. Mm, the last song on the record with absolutely my favorite song title of the bunch. Great. Platypus I, Dipster. I think you
1: mentioned this when we did the uh <laughs> when it was my one of my albums of yeah. the year, and you said, What a ridiculous name. I used to name all my songs like that too. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds I think it's so
0: great. It sounds like an Infectious Grooves title. And I think Infectious Grooves, they use Sarsipius in a bunch of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could see a collaboration between the Platypus Dipster and Sarsipius. That'd be <laughs> great. And it's a really catchy song. Yeah. But when I listened to this song by itself as a standalone, I was totally into it. I like it. But when I listened to it as part of the record, I was like, eh. Yeah. And and that's the the song is about making blues music and burning out on the road. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of blues records, it is just retreading the same lyrical material. However, he does it a little more interesting than most with some fine wordplay. Peter Parker picked a perfect picture, pimped her underage. Oh yeah. Now I could be wrong, (laughs) but based on the way that's written, I think he was kind of alluding to Peter Piper, not Peter Parker. (laughs) Because it feels like picked a peck of pickled peppers situation. Um, and but, you he know, just mess it all up, but it's all good. Know, no, but you know Peter Parker was a photographer. I do. In in the Spider Man, picked a perfect picture. Okay, that okay, that works. Right. Oh, so he just kind of changed the yeah. the the rhyme around a little I bit. Think as, he's
1: I think he's implying that uh, he took a maybe a bit of a covert photograph. Oh dear! While flying around as Spider Man. Oh
0: man. Platypus Dipster. Platypus
1: Dipster. Yeah, uh, we
0: we did. We 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 named our songs like uh, you know, grasp Thy young tomato and uh <laughs> penguin and, you know, we had uh, volatile potato. Yeah, cuz you can do that.
1: Oh man, we
0: we need do we need to review one of your albums? <laughs> it'd be fun. Maybe as a chop sometime. It'd be so it'd be so it'd much be, fun. Uh, oh my gosh, I could I get a couple of the guys on the line and uh, <laughs>
1: How high were we? <laughs> pretty,
0: pretty high.
1: Well, here's here's a little sample of a platypus dipster.
2: What is this blues thing, man? What is this blues thing, man? Chicken, 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 rabbit in a garbage can. What is this afterthought? Dancing the.
1: I would definitely agree with you. I think when you listen to this as the closer to the album, it's it's kind of yeah, you know, okay, it closed. Right. Then you pull it out and listen to it separately later on. Dude, it's that's a, a jam. It's a great song and it's it's very separate from what happens at the end of this album.
0: That's a jam. So, I could totally listen to that song by itself all yeah. the time. Put it on a playlist in the midst of a bunch of other songs unrelated and yeah. be like, Cool, this is good. So There you have it. Have you lost your mind yet? So before we wrap up, oh. Kyle, I'd like to address for a minute. What is possibly my issue or concern about this record? All right. So all the time, and I mean weekly, I get people coming up to me or in my social media asking me why we don't do more recent albums. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do the newest Muse album or this or that? And I started to give it some serious thought. And I find that the albums that I have focused on are albums that I either A – have a deep personal emotional connection to, Mm -hmm. or B, an album that was so good out of the gate that there's no denying its staying power and it's important to music in general. So I personally have only had one record for this show that was released in 2014 or later. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the very little known Other Rivers by Matthew and the Atlas, because not only is the subject matter important to me, but the music makes the lyrics even that much more impactful. Uh, It is the only record really that I have bonded with at that level Like that in in many many years, and we start to look at the albums that have real importance to us, and they tend to coincide with big moments. Yeah. Uh, First loves, first kisses, great emotional strife, birth of kids, emotional trauma, deaths, what people call the quote formative years. Uh, Frankly, I don't have a lot of those moments anymore. Uh, My moments now are enjoying the day to day. I go into work. I come home. I take vacation. You know, my kids are grown. My wife and I are comfortable, and there just aren't a lot of moments to attach a record to anything going on. Uh, I'm not going to sit here uh, and say that there isn't great music being made that people are attaching to. I'm sure there are masterpieces and works of genius out there that are impacting people. I'm just not one that it's rooted to. I look at my next few choices, and they are deep, impactful albums full of stories, and they are all 30 to 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, And it's probably going to stay that way for me. So while I think this album is very good, and I do, it has no connection to me. So it's hard for me to enjoy it as much as I would like to. That being said, I know these albums impact other people. Or there are recent ones that do. And that is why we're putting together our next podcast, Musical DNA, with you. Uh, And your stories are what it's all about. It's a podcast about emotional connections to music and how that makes us who we are. Uh, So I want you to send me some long ones, short ones, doesn't matter. I just want to hear why music is so important to you and your life. And you can send those to me at info at audio judo.com. Go ahead, Kyle. What else you got?
1: That's great. I I think that you summed it up very well. I, I do have one major concern though. Yeah. Uh, Does this mean we're either going to have to start paying bands to release albums around the time that your three children are going to begin having babies? Yes. Or we're going to have to begin limiting when they can have sex.
0: Yes, on both counts.
1: Okay. So that's okay. I just wanted to make sure. We're, oh, did you uh... not
0: hear? Hmm. Well, my middle son is, uh, they're expecting a baby in oh, August. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm, I'm going go, to be a grandpapa.
1: Well, congratulations. I did not
0: hear that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to be a grandpapa. Grandpapa. A grandpapa. Can he Can he call me grandpapa? Please call me Grandpapa. Grandpapa. <laughs>
1: Well, congratulations. I have not heard that yet.
0: So, Thanks. Uh, and there's probably going to be an album attached to that. There it should sure be. be. I, I <laughs> hope
1: so. Because I was about to say, those will be the next significant major milestones, oh, big I time. assume, in your life, yeah. is grandkids. And so.
0: I, I want to emphasize, that it's not like there isn't special music out there that's oh, being yeah, released yeah, yeah. now. Because we do the, the top albums of the year. And those albums are really relevant and important to me, and I like listening to them. But it's not like I'm, I'm going to drive in my car, and i got to drive – Six hours, and I'm like, I know exactly what I'm listening to. I need to listen to this because I'm in that mood. Yeah. You know, I'm in a mood, so I need to listen to Future Bites by Steve Wilson. No, I like listening to that record, but it's not like – it's a go-to. Yeah. So, that's all I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, well, I totally get you. Uh, but that is it. That is uh, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet by Fantastic Negrito. Right. Uh, go give it a quick listen. Uh, it's only about 40 minutes long, so it's not a big uh, – Yeah, not short. A big Not a big time sink. Um, uh, if you have a, a new ish album, like Matthew said, uh, audio DNA, musical DNA, musical DNA, excuse me, uh, musical DNA. If you have an album you want to talk about, get in touch with us. Uh, if you want more details about how to do that, you can email us at info at audiojudo.com. Uh-huh. Or if you want to talk about this album, email us at info at audiojudo.com. You can also get in touch on social media. Uh, we are at audio judo on Twitter, uh, at audio underscore judo on instagram and facebook.com forward slash audio judo you can also check out audio judo.com for all of that information links to our patreon links to old episodes mm-hmm. uh show notes all kinds of stuff on there
0: and we have episodes coming about one of the largest records of all time hysteria by Def Leppard. Oh, thanks yeah. a lot kyle for You're screwing welcome. me there
1: uh, i'm so good at it now
0: queens uh, doobie brothers and jethro tull so please stay tuned until next time bye-bye everybody. take care everybody i <laughs> you